It's the Jesus and Paula Show. Starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Tune in as we learn the mind of Christ and thoughts of God. Well, good evening, Jesus and Paula Show. Welcome to this week's broadcast. The Prophecy Clinic is open. I'm Apostle Ashley kicking off tonight's episode. I think I'm pretty sure we're staying in the Prophecy Clinic. Last week, Dr. Price taught on, hold on, let me get my notes straight because I don't want to get it wrong. She taught on the mind of a principality. This is something we usually teach our commissioned in, or at least our apostles in uh, training and prophets in training about what it is to be a principality in the mind of a principality. She also taught the week before on taking a forensic analysis of the prophetic. I mean, this is scholarly information that we have right here, which is why um, the prophecy clinic is open. The, the prophetic right now is a runaway train. I was, um, where was I at? Oh, I was on a, a training for a Charisma Podcast. <clears throat> it was a webinar. And they said right now, you know, podcasting is like the wild, wild west. You can kind of do whatever you want. Television, even though you have a lot of freedom, is very locked down. And so I feel like the prophetic now has gone into the wild west where many things are up to. And it said, well, that's how God talks to me. This is how I do it ever. You don't understand. Well, I don't feel judged by the Lord. Like nothing is written in scripture. And in our morning devotions as a staff, we go through different things. And so right now we're in the epistles. We're in the writings of the apostles. And what are we in? Second Peter? Second Peter. Man, the things that are addressed about the prophetic and the prophet in the New Testament by the apostles, you could tell we don't know our history. We, we're way out of the continuum, way out of the prophecy continuum. And when you actually read the word of God as it was written and not your favorite scriptures, go into those books that have dust on them in your Bible, so to speak, the ones that you haven't touched maybe in years, or if you did go through it, you didn't go through it with the mindset that you have right now. That's what you want to do. And so the prophecy clinic and this whole series that Dr. Price has been on since what, May, mid-April, May, where she started is about bringing that order back to the institution of the prophetic, not just how somebody prophesies. There's a difference when we're talking institutional changes and individual changes. For example, simple example, if you've worked anywhere in corporate America, then you understand that you can't just make one change in one branch. Or I worked in retail. And so you can't make just change in one store. It has to be through all of the stores. Something as simple as bathroom signage. We had a whole issue in the mall about bathroom signage <clears throat> because it wasn't clear. The, the women's bathroom was literally in one part of the store. The men's was on the other side. Very weird. Usually they're near each other. In an obvious association where you go to one and you're looking for the other. Nope, sorry. That's actually on the other side of windows. This is on the other side of bedding. 
Well, the signage wasn't clear and everybody was like, well, we just need to put up signs. Well, when you are part of a corporate company, you can't just put up a sign. You have to have corporate approval, right? Anybody who's worked in corporate America, you understand? You can't. But in your home, even sometimes in your own office, you don't have the privileges that you would have your home office. You can do whatever you want. Your corporate office, not so much. I can decorate. Now, I have a lot of flexibility with how I want to decorate my office here because, well, we don't have crazy taste. But there are limits to what we can do and what we cannot do in our corporate office versus home office. Now, this is gift versus office, the same idea. Home is the gift. However you want to decorate, however you want to do, whatever signs you want to put up, that's fine. But in the corporate institution, it was challenging for other employees to understand. They just can't go and have Kinko's produce a new sign and put it up on the wall without corporate approval. There was a thing about the uh, cash registers. These things are so old, and they were. We just need new ones. Well, new ones is new ones across the board in all of the stores, not just yours. And then our store had, I don't know how many cash registers. So it wasn't just one. It was maybe 25 or 15. And so when you're thinking corporately or office or officially, that's different than your individual gift or home experience. And, and these trainings are built in order for us to bring back order, in order to bring back order, but to bring back God's order. You don't realize how opinionated you are until you come into a corporate environment where nobody cares what you think. And then you realize how you just willy-nilly always throwing your opinion around. But whenever you get in a setting where nobody cares, they look at you like, well, why are you telling us we don't? And, you know, corporate, will they not tell you we don't care? Well, we don't care. I'm sorry, did we ask you? Their question is, I'm sorry, who are you in the company? To where you think that your opinion registers as a change that we should make. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just offering my two cents. Well, if you just want to. Now, you might be a corporate executive in another company, at which point your opinion has a different respect that is offered. Like, okay, well, you know, they had a Coke, they had a Pepsi. Oh, well, you know, they might hear each other out as a professional courtesy, not as a required implementation. And in the body of Christ, we really do think that our personal preferences matter more than the institutional standards that God has set in place. The scriptures, the holy word of God, written by holy men and women over time, okay, is, is broken down in order for us to understand God's eternal order that is being installed and instituted on earth. That's what it's for. When we go back and we're reading and studying all these things, I love teaching these youth. Oh, it is so much fun getting in this scripture with them <laughs> and breaking down the actual word of God and not just what we've heard about the word. Very different experience. And so the Prophecy Clinic is open and it will be also opening up as a training format on Dr. Paula Price Powertrain, which is what we're going to talk about right now, Dr. Paula Price Powertrain. And uh, right now, the, the uh, Soul Clinic is open. 
building the soul of success is what's available right now. After this segment, before Dr. Price comes on, we're going to play a short clip promo about what that course is all about, building the soul of success. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're serious about being successful, you will take advantage of every resource and every opportunity that is available to you, especially if you're not in a training institution that is uh, has the weight of training that you need for the caliber of location or uh, destination where you are going or vocation. And so here in our institution, it's very easy to get comfortable and kind of get a little sloppy with your own development because, well, we always have good information coming at us. Social media has kind of enabled people to get a little lax, get a little sloppy. I'll tune in here. I'll tune in there. I'll do this. I'll do that. And really actually never anchor down and commit to any one track of progress. And so for these soul classes, and we're rolling out starting next week, well, possibly this weekend, but starting next week for sure, video on demand. So video on demand uh, lessons and lectures and classes that Dr. Price has done where it's it's exactly that. It's one video, maybe two, maybe three. There's no training supplements to it. There are no worksheets, no quizzes, no exams, no certificates, just video on demand where you will have a certain amount of days to access and watch that video while it is available for you and to get that information for yourself. Some of the subjects that will be on video demand, breaking the chains of (laughs) self-sabotage. We can all pause right there. Breaking the chains of self-sabotage, bless the Lord. Kingdom leadership. Dr. Price taught a kingdom leadership series with New Era Apostleship Restitution members a couple of years ago. We're bringing that to you, the King's Realm, part one and two. Wisdom rolling out of that. Talent leadership classes, one and two. How many times have we heard Dr. Price say your talent can take you where your soul can't keep you? So you can learn about your talent and learn about your soul and leadership. We have Soul of Success Facing Giants, Soul of Success, the Comeback Plan, the Prophet's Mandate, a great class, Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. I think that's a four-part. Um, series that will break down into two, two parts, constructing Dr. Price recorded amazing things. Success is not racist. This one is going to be offered for free. It's like 20, 21 minutes. Dr. Price is speaking to young African-American college students here in Tulsa, Oklahoma at our community college, uh, one of the branches at our community college. And she addresses, and this was several years ago, how success is not racist. And we want to say that uh, there is just a universal way that keeps people, black people, since that's who she was talking to, out of success. She said, but at the end of the day, when you get to those high levels, the only color that counts is green, the color of money. And if you're excellent and if you're the best, you will be sought out no matter what you look like, no matter what you sound like. We have seen some very interesting Interesting people in high places because they have paid and earned the right to be there. And so that one we'll offer for free because I just need everybody to get that wisdom. 
please get that wisdom. Success is not racist. And then business, uh, in our business, Vision to Venture, we're going to have a, a, a video on demand on Vision to Venture. And also, like I said, the Prophecy Clinic is going to be opening and will be disappearing from social media and will be opening there. And so you can register and enroll as we roll them out. There are incentives for you whenever you sign up for these courses that if you sign up, you'll see a discount code or something like that that you can use. Well, there's just a lot going on today at the embassy and outside of the embassy that you can use in order to enroll in other training classes at drpaulapricepowertrain.com. People always say, you need to offer more things. You need to roll them out there. We need to be able to go back and watch this. Many times people want to go back and watch it for free. But how many of you know it costs our chief apostle quite a bit in order to be able to bring this wisdom? Our sales, we have our deal of the weekend, 15% off the MAQ and PAQ. The code is Jesus and Paula through the weekend, 15% off. So if you've been waiting, for another sale, vacillating for another time. If you haven't taken the assessment in quite some time, then this is a great weekend to pay for yours and take your assessment. Ministry assessment questionnaire, prophetic aptitude questionnaire. Also 10% off of all advisements from prophetic ed. And we're going to talk about this and then go to a short, short, short video where Dr. Price answers the question about should profits be accountable? But the services that we offer on Prophetic Ed for advisements, if you're in need of an advisor, a coach, somebody with that um, divine insight, natural, practical insight, and application combined together, then you want to go to prophetic-ed.com. We offer advisements on marriage and family, business and career, ministry and leadership, soul and spirit, life and health, prayer and support grief and loss, crisis and setbacks, and executive leadership services. As you can see, it is a wonderful array of information and wisdom that you can gain from Prophetic Ed. It's not somebody just sitting around guessing on your future and let's see, let me find something to prophesy to you. It is about digging into the nooks and the crannies of your soul, of your life, of your situation. For example, I'm advising several people right now on how to transition from one career to another. God's calling them out of their workplace. He's calling them off of their job and they need to know how to do it. They're all making very good money. They're doing very well. They're prospering, but God is shifting them. How do you prepare? How do you do that? You get the word from God to make a change. Does that mean tomorrow? Does that mean right now? Does that mean next week? Does it mean next year? And your advisor is trained and equipped to assist you in making those changes in your life. Sometimes it's changing jobs, changing careers. Others we've advised on what to do with their children. Should I keep them in public school? Should I homeschool? How should I do? How should we make these changes? And on and on the list goes. If you're trying to recover from grief and loss in your life, there's a lot of doctrine out there that says you shouldn't feel down and you shouldn't feel bad. Well, give me a break already. And you might need an advisor to help pull you through. We offer prayer advisements. Prayer advisements are powerful where you have your designated prayer partner, but prayer warrior. 
Because sometimes partnership can imply equality. Like we're just going to equally yoke up with you. But we're going to be the battering ram in your situation, as well as the voice of insight and uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, direction for where you should go and what you should do as we're praying you through your circumstance. So we have various options and many options available. 10% off all first-time advisements, I will say first-time. If you are already a client, you're, you're not going to get that 10% discount. We're sorry. But if it's your first time or a single one, if you just need a 30-minute prophetic advisement, then you can sign up there this weekend and get it scheduled for whenever you need to have that scheduled. Very, um, very rich resources that we have here at our institution. But let's take a minute very quickly at this very short clip. Dr. Price answers the questions about the question of should profits have accountability? scripture says that they the only loan prophets were were when when prophets were loners they were loners only when they were the institution was under attack and the sitting government didn't like them or the prophet was not really a prophet but you know like amos I wasn't a prophet. God tapped them because the established institution closed God out or because the prophet is errant, abusive, or arrogant. For the most part, when you read about the prophets, you read about them in groups. And so even all the way down to the church of Thyatira, they are the prophetic guild who handled the business and the economics that, that are inherent to the prophet's mantle and the prophet's office as part of an institution. It's as important for a prophet to be educated as it is for every other professional. If you're touching the public, there needs to be education and there needs to be trial and error, and there needs to be proving to show that you are safe for public reception. And we haven't had that. To date, most prophetic institutions are, you know, the local church, or they are, there are some really quality ones out there, so I do not want to convey the wrong idea, but we still lack uniformity. And most, a good deal of it has not been useful to the public. We have got to put it in our mind. Ministry is for public service. We call it ministry and we think it's ours. We make it private. But when we realize that ministry is for public service, you can track it by definition, history, and other pieces of um, articles that are written on it. If that's the case, if ministry is for public service, then like any other institution your nail tech has got to be educated well i mean what are we talking about taking a brush throwing on some polish isn't that what we're talking about why do we need education and credentials for that when you talk about your stylist we talk about the people who are working at, the, at a restaurant the restaurant has are you kidding i'm doing my mother's recipe everything that will touch the public can hurt or help it 
and in order to minimize the harm and to increase and maximize the health, we need education. Here's the thing. Education requires uniformity if you're going to do that. So the, as long as we were in, in the church, we were kind of like off limits. When we decide that we're going to go uh, secular and we will be scientific, that will be different. Because now we're going to have to conform to what the rest of the institutions must conform to for the benefit of our communities, for the safety, to safeguard us. You realize a doctor can be sued. Many people don't know that ministers, you know, are vulnerable as well. So we have got to uh, at least bring, if we want to harvest, then we're going to have to conform. And we do want to harvest. You know, we don't, prophets don't have a place in the local assembly other than as an advisor. That's it. You know, ultimately, we, you give the word of the Lord, you pray for people, the end. If they appreciate your word, that's fine. Now, there are some congregations that put the prophet on staff. I think it's very wise, very prudent, but how do you, how, who manages them? If the institution be, uh, was before all else, who manages this institution? Who verifies? And then what, by what criteria and what standards and benchmarks do we call it good or effective? So their prophets have got to create a place. And God has a place for the prophet. And that is within the ecclesia. And yes, serving the churches, but also serving the kingdom, the king and his kingdom. And that means we have to be smarter. We're going to, I mean, we're facing off with darkness. These people, you look at the educational program the psychics have and the witches and the and all of that, and we're talking about a weekend of shabba shabba haba. No, we've got a lot of changes to make, and I'm happy that the Lord has given us and given to me prophetic ed to make those changes so we can plant prophets everywhere. All right, Shabba, Shabba. Shabba, yes, exactly, public service. I mean, it's it's crazy. You can tell, though, we really are programmed to believe that the anointing and that the calling should just come out of us and not that we have to actually put a lot in. Now, we see this in medicine. We understand that, and nobody wants the spirit-led doctor alone. Like, that's bonus to have a spirit-filled doctor operating and handling your body. However, nobody says, well, I want the spirit-filled doctor above the highest credential doctor in the hospital. We don't say that. We don't say that we want the person handling. I don't want the mechanic who's talking in tongues who can't still fix my car. Listen, I need the number one who, what did she say about the nail tech? These people, you can get an infection that will take your life out if you go to the wrong place getting your nails done. What did she say? Public service. And so we are in a public service office, a public service institution. You don't want the crossing guard to take your children across the street to school who doesn't know how to what? Navigate traffic. 
I'm just being led of God. I'm being led of the spirit. Led of the spirit. I need you to be led <laughs> by when the car is coming and the spirit of God. But in these offices, because we're speaking and acting on behalf of God, like that doctor isn't. Like that attorney isn't representing on behalf of the Lord. Like that athlete isn't playing on behalf of God. And so we really take this high and mighty attitude that because we're, you know, we're working for the Lord directly. So we somehow have to do less. But how many of you know when you work, the higher up you work in the food chain, the tighter you have to be. Somebody says they work for the office of the president of the United States, even with this mess we got on right now in D.C. Somewhere people are credentialed. So they say somewhere, but there's a lot of people who are. If you say you work for any highest office, if it's the school system, the superintendent's office, if it's whatever, it's a foregone conclusion that you have a a list of educational accomplishments behind you to prove not why you should be there, but how you earn the right to be there. It's not about feeling. It's not about emotion. It's not about all those things. It's it's about your credentials and what credential you because you are a public service office. So are ministers. It is frightening how easy it is to get into ministry. You don't need one validation, one certification. You don't need one person to say your prayers work. Can you believe? I mean, when we think about how easy it is to start a ministry, we trust that the people who are put over us are just anointed. But they're just anointed, right, Prophet? They're anointed. You just need, I need the anointing. We want to get in the prayer line of the most anointed person. We want to have somebody lead worship who's the most anointed. And nothing else is checked out in many places. We've gone in places that people don't know us. You want to come up and join the team and sing on the stage? What? You don't know me and I don't know you. And so I don't know what you have going on up here. I may not want to mingle my anointing with this. I might not want to bless this. Um, God might not be happy with what's going on right here. I don't know. I haven't inquired of the Lord to see what's going on. I haven't talked to your people. I haven't read your literature. So thank you so much. We're just going to sit right here in the seats and not be official in our position. You have prophets who are giving people prophecies about how they should change their literal lives. Untrained, unvetted, unvalidated. Well, God said that I, and God sent me. You know, God sent a lot of things. He sent plagues. He created the waster to destroy. He sent a flood. He sent down a fire from heaven. Okay, so saying God sent you doesn't always bring me comfort. Because I've read a lot of my Bible to know that may not be a good thing. He sent those plagues. He tore those those people down. Brought their whole nation down. Okay, so God saying, saying God sent me is not always encouraging. 
But because we only had that's kind of like, you know, God knows my heart kind of thing. And Dr. Price always says, and what does he know about your heart? Because he knows that his right desperately. When we read actually what the word says about the heart, it's not hallmark. And we have the hallmark application of God knows why he knows my heart, which means it's to me, my motives are always good. My intentions are always good. Even though you just blew up somebody's world, we're supposed to go off of your intention and not your results. And God is measuring thoughts and intents and fruit. So he's going after what you're thinking, what you're intending, and then what happened as a result of you being involved. Or not being involved. If, if you're a Jonah and he's trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. Oh, how many Jonas are in the kingdom right now? I'm going to sip on this water. They want to do their assignment their way, not God's. Trying to change everything about how their training is supposed to be. Trying to change everything about the assignment. God is trying to send you over here. You want to go over here. He needs you to stay this long. You want to stay that long. He's trying to tell you this. You're trying to tell you that. He's letting you know what to prophesy. You're, you're showing him how you don't agree. You care more about the little caterpillar on the flower than a nation of people. See, there are people all over the place still right now. Jonah's walking around in the kingdom. Don't want to be tied to anybody. Don't want to be connected with anybody. It's just me and God. And then when it is you and God, you're telling God how what God is saying isn't right. It is no wonder it takes the Lord forever to get anything changed in the body of Christ. Because we are some stubborn, rebellious, headstrong, self-centered, self-serving souls. If we start with God, with what's in it for me. I mean, we really do. We may not say it in that way. We might flip it and say, what's it going to cost me? But that's still what's in it for me. Well, how long am I going to have to do this before this turns around? Well, am I going to have to? How much am I going to have to lose? How much am I going to have to give up? How much time? How much sleep? How much money? How much credibility? You want me to go online and say, what? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just here to observe. (laughs) my favorite. I'm just observe. I'm just here to watch. I'm just here to do it ever. Well, in other words, will you go and you send your friends out there to see what happens to them. And then you decide if you're going to do it. We, we laugh about this at youth group talking about Moses and Israel. Well, you know, talking about how many people would have been in the back of the line crossing the parting of the sea to see if they hold Kuta's in here. So, you know, to see if, if they make it. Okay. Well, we're going to see if they make it. Well, no, no, no. You guys go, you guys go, you guys go. I don't know. The water's still holding back. Did they get to the other side? Is it really dry all the way across? If you know, cell phones, call me, tell me, take a picture, send me, post something about so I know if I need to go. Okay, and then they're going to run the whole way just in case God changes his mind, just in case they get wet. And that's how we do God. We want to send other people. You go. Well, let me see what happened. Prophet Angela, you go do it. Let me see what happens to you. Oh, I don't know. Your journey is hard because, listen, so-called Friday, my God, I'm just saying. Okay. And and so we want to send other people and do all this, anything. We start with God with what's it going to cost me and what's in it for me. Well, I mean, you know, if I do this, am I, am I going to be able to get married? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to be broke? Am I going to have money? Am I going to have a car? Am I going to have a big house? And am I going to have the wardrobe? And, and the last thing we ask God? is what does he need us to do? And if we do, we usually don't mean it. Who will go for us? <laughs> Send me. Listen, some of the most fakest, fake, 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 
fake pledges of loyalty to God are in church at the altar. Because it's all emotional. You're all tuned up. Lord, don't let the worship have been tight. Somebody lay hands. Your favorite minister came to lay hands on you. You starting to fall out before they get there. And it's just you because you're just so excited that it's them. And you're doing all the gyration and everything. And you're like, yes, Lord, whatever you need. And, oh, it's a wonderful show in front of the church or whatever. And afterwards, God gets nothing out of you. Because you were living for the moment. Not actually to be the answer to what God needs. This is why he does go silent. This is why people do struggle. This is why generations go under. What are we seeing now in this whole old move of leaders? Confession after confession of how we ended up cashing in on the move and lost sight of the assignment. And it's easy to do. It is easy because when money starts moving, oh my, when the blessings start coming in, that's when you really find out what you're made of, not just when you're broke, but when you're really wealthy. What's the rest of what's in your heart, what the true idols of your heart really are. And so you want to enroll in Price University. You want to enroll in uh, Dr. Paula Price Powertrain or just do the videos on demand and begin to fill in those gaps. Are you going to be that person that God can trust or not? There's a lot of wily people out there in the kingdom, unruly unruly as the day is long. Apostle Peter, I mean, he said some things and he did some things, but he was an unruly guy. With Jesus, he was out there jumping on the water and then, ah, Lord, save me. And then the sword and then him denying Christ. I mean, the whole battle with Peter was very interesting to let you know that you can be a headstrong, hard-headed person. God will still use you. He'll still use you because he used him, but not to the extent of Paul. I mean, what Paul did, and he didn't walk with Christ in the flesh, being in the continuum of apostles that Jesus called that he did not walk with in the flesh to let us know. People talking about, well, you, you, you had to walk with Christ to be, are you kidding me? Jesus is still alive. He is still alive. He is still alive. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead resurrected Lord. But we have got to understand in our seat of public service that we have an obligation and a responsibility to our God and to his public, to his people. To see to it that we're not leading them down a pathway to hell because we disagree with a lot of things. And not because of any other reason. I just don't see that way. You need to register. I challenge you to note and register how many times you decide to do or not do something because of how you feel or your opinion. That will let you know what's really driving you. That will let you know if you are inherently non-compliant. You cannot be a non-compliant prophet in God. That's rebellious. You cannot be a non-compliant apostle in God because you will destroy, you will wreck, you will overturn things. We're going to talk about unlocking and overturning. My Lord, you're going to be unlocking and overturning the wrong things because the mantle works. It works. And so there's there are people that God is holding back and holding back and holding back because he literally cannot afford to unleash you in your present state. Because of the damage that you will do. 
You've have you seen, you know, little kids when they're learning how to use stuff, aren't they cute? They're so cute. And then they knock over the crystal this and the glass that while they're trying to learn how to walk, trying to use something, grab something that isn't for them to use. I sorry. I sorry. That's great. That was great, great, great granddad's whatever that cannot be replaced. We cannot replace lost souls. You can't replace lost destinies. You can't replace people getting out of their place in God. And so he does not have the luxury, the option of just loosing and letting go a lot of ministers that don't want to conform to his way of doing things because the loss is too great. And there is loss that you cannot repair. And in the kingdom, he has found that. How many ministers? We can see now how many people don't go to church now because of Bishop thus and what, an apostle and prophet so-and-so and pastor, teacher, whatever, who fell and fell mightily. We're not talking about, oh, I lost my footing on, you know, this little piece of banana peel, but brought down a whole piece of God's kingdom or institution. These are destinies and lives that God may never recover. And while it's so easy, and we're going to go to a quick commercial break and then shift to our one and only host with the most, Dr. Paula Price, who will just blow the lid off of my laptop. I'm ready to take notes. First sentence out of her mouth is going to be profound, I'm sure of it. Okay? But God does not have, he cannot, there are people that will not recover. There are people that will not bounce back. There are people that will never trust a preacher again because of some of these things that have gone on and been done to them. The abuses, the molestations behind the scenes, the mismanagement of funds, all of those things God has to calculate as loss. And if he did some kind of a business report, financial report, assessment, where souls are finances, people, destinies, lives, on the last decade alone of mismanagement of his kingdom, we're going to come up short, and there's going to be a whole lot of red in the hole from these ministers, these rogue, reckless ministers that have been out there. That's why we don't play at Price University, and we don't apologize, because we're looking at the fallout. Some of our people are the fallout. They are. Some of them have. have. They're, they're trying to, they're like, I'm going to hope one more time. I'm going to give God one more time. I'm going to give his people one more chance. We're going to do this one more time. And so we're going to watch this quick promo of what are we watching the uh, building the soul of success on uh, power train building the soul or whatever whatever rate whatever i gave her that's what we're going to watch and then we'll be back with the with the conductor of the power train dr paula price introducing new training options from dr paula price powertrain become the most successful you by enrolling in self-paced training modules let's take a sneak peek Okay, the whole purpose of Soul Sunday is for you to take control and power over your own soul. The whole trend of the world, the, the st stance of the world is that you can't help how you feel. You cannot help how your soul is. You can't help what happens to you. As a matter of fact, you are a victim of your own soul. Isn't that how we hear it? You go to school and you, most of you will tell your children, wow, you better get A's all the time. And then, well, he can't help it. He has his, he got his temper from his grandfather. 
She's got her, her, you know, personality from, and, and so we have to realize that that is not how God teaches the soul. You have to recognize that your talent is only the utility of your soul's success. So all of your talents and attributes, those are the utilities. They're the tools of the trade, but they're utilities. And so, but what holds them together? You have to build that because if you don't, if you're one of those people, you're thin-skinned, your feelings get hurt all the time, you're not going to make it. You can't rise above your sentiments, not going to make it. You just won't because your soul is looking for a comfort zone that success won't allow. Isn't that right? It's always looking for a comfort zone. It's looking for a reward. I talked to a woman one day and she said, oh, no, I have to be asleep by eight. I said, good, because you'll never, ever own anything. Because you can't do it. I mean, and, and really, if you sleep by nine, you're probably not even doing housework. Like you're not doing laundry. You're not cleaning up. Dishes are dirty. Haven't emptied the dishwasher in three days. I mean, come on. Because see, life, life is meant to move and it's an activity. So soul of success will be that. You don't like pressure. I don't want to be, be relied on to do it nonstop. I don't want to have to stay up late. I don't want to be around people that I don't click with. See, that's why some of y'all stuck too, because y'all so a bit worried about who you can click with. You're not trying to figure out who you can prosper with. Let me tell you. There are a lot of partners out there. There are a lot of people out there that those partners can't stand each other. And you know what? They don't care. They both go to their separate banks and cash in. You all are too, literally, you're too aesthetic. You are to you. If I don't, if, if, I mean, I have to be able to connect with people I work with. That is such a lie. You work for a company, you don't know half of them. And the other half don't like you, don't, and you don't like them. Enroll in the Soul Clinic today at www.drpaulapricepowertrain.com. Good Thursday, good July. Let's just be, just call it good. You know, I'm just specifying all good. It's all good. And so, I am glad to be here, and I want to say to you, Apostle Ashley Clater, I 100% agree with your statement that we have, God has losses that he will never regain. He has people he has got to, you know, they, they can't get saved, they can't get born again. Now, I know that he is bigger than all of us, but there are just certain things that just don't make it because God says we must believe to the saving of the soul. Hmm. The saving of the soul. Yeah. In Ezekiel's prophecy, the Lord says, behold, all souls are mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It did not say the spirit. It said the soul. And then he said that he sanctifies a spirit, soul, and body. 
Now, I've been on a journey and I've kind of been hiding out, trying to wait for, you know, to roll it out in the perfect way. You know, sometimes perfection is just completion. <laughs> wow, man. Sometimes, you know, you got all you can do to get it out. You know, sometimes all we got is completion. I don't have the frills. I don't have the thrills. I don't have the window dressing. All that I have is completion. And so that's where we are today in terms of where I am. I, I've been talking to you about the journey that I am on writing 3D2. Yeah, holla. Yeah, Y'all better go on and praise him. Now, I will tell you one thing that the Lord says. When he says, be a first partaker, when the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to say first partaker, I just want you to understand, I was first partaker. And because God's is a living curricula, God's is a living doctrine, God is the living God, it's always we call it words, words for theological reasons. God calls it cells. And so he's always cellulating himself in our souls, which is why he installed the Holy Spirit in us in the first place, to give us the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, that's scripture, you know, and I know some of you all want me to give you scripture for every statement, but then I won't be able to teach you because you'll be too busy affirming your thoughts on scripture, which are probably errant in many ways. All right. And if not short sighted, because I mean, you know, God, God's every verse in God is like a kaleidoscope. You can spin that thing and it's a different color prism depending on the situation that he is bringing it up to you for. So a couple of things I want you to know. Number one, I'm working on 3D. I have, I, I, so far I've written, let me get it right, 180 something, eight and a half by 11 pages, which is going to end up being three different books, three separate books, yes. because 3D is a journey. So you can imagine 180 something pages, and that's just that book. I have about 12 more in the series, but I'm I'm keeping them, um, you know, comfortably readable to you guys. Wait, I was way down under here. Of course it is. Hold on. If I drop stuff, don't y'all talk about me, okay? Don't be texting folks talking about. Did you see how she did someone's up? Because that tell me you got a soul sickness there. <laughs> on, on drop stuff. So they'll all be pretty much in this size, but increasingly more intense. Did anybody, did you like that word? Intense. Yes, increasingly more intense. I thought that was a nice word. Um, and so, because, and each one is very involved in terms of if you've gotten 3D1, then you've gotten some of the statements. And I, I really wrote it very easy. I got big print for those people who just like, Lord help. Okay, I'm big print. Really, see some people clapping over big print. Let me tell you, I'm, cl I'm clapping over big print. But many of you have not really had me uh, go into 3D. So I'm doing this whole thing, and I mean, God is breaking down stuff. I'm sitting there saying, okay, so Jesus, I'm glad I'm the first person. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, oh, hmm. And then I would pass out. So if you think that God doesn't require you to be a living epistle, Okay, a living text. We are text only because of the script, but we are literally the living Godhead. So 
anyway, we've been talking about souls. Our nation, the world is in all kinds of, of uh, distress right now. And people are struggling. They don't know what happened. How do I get back? What do I do? We've got a, a constant bombardment of soul assaults to cause soul atrocities every day. The, the video games, the movies, the singing, the rap, and, and all of the, the, the education, all of that is to the, to the end that they destroy your immortal soul. Because Satan knows the power of the soul and that the soul is the currency of his world. So your soul flows are what determine it. Remember, you got a new spirit so that God could save your soul. Now, how do I know that? Well, because we have in Hebrews, we must believe. I think it's Hebrews. Let me go back to it. I was just there. I got my trusty little wisdom thing now. Oh, yeah, there you go. I got you sitting right up here taking care of me so I can get there. Um, uh, hey, it's important. Um, because God tells us that we have to believe to the saving of our soul, not the renewing of our spirit. I just want to say that. Because many of us don't get it. So in Hebrews 10, he's telling you why we're doing this. You know, and, and we started Hebrews 10, 35. It says, cast not away, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Recompense of reward. You almost think a reward is recompense. So why is it true? Because God is going to compensate, compensate you for not cheating on him for not doubting him, for not defecting from him, and for not corrupting who he is before those who have yet to meet him. So he says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, if this is your Bible highlight, done the will of God, after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now, that's a sticky point because people are walking around bitter, resentful, angry with God because they've done his will and he hasn't done his part. See, so you think your deeds, um, you know, are more uh, righteous than God's deeds. So your deeds and God's delay are struggling. Because if, if and if you're angry because you've done the will of God, let me say this to you. Bless your sanctified heart. It is because you did it with the wrong motive, the wrong intent, the wrong expectation, or maybe even just did it for um, expecting something that God didn't promise because he said you will receive the promise. So I want to get this. So are your deeds aligning with the promise? So, and that's number one. And number two, did you do it Monday and expect the harvest on Tuesday? Hey. Of the same, same week, not even the Tuesday in the future. So you're going to have to, you will have to, as you go forward in the Lord, you're going to have to take your, your, your deeds out of your memory, lay them on the table as one does an organ, and inspect and examine them to make sure that your deeds were done in God for God. So we we haven't even gotten. I'm still introducing. Now, 
And it says, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, here's this is very interesting because Paul is writing this way at the beginning of the AD era. And then they were expecting Jesus to show up. Well, we're not the same. We, we're now jaded because he hasn't shown up anyway. So we're jaded. And we're so jaded that we don't really expect him to show up. But Jesus tells you in the Gospels all of the ways he shows up. He says, first of all, I make my word known. Secondly, I let you know my commandments. Thirdly, I defend you from the enemy. So he shows up in the fullness of time. And we think that time is chronological or that it is calendar or that it is, um, what do you call it? Um, personal. He's going to show up. God, so when he's talking about tarry, he's not just talking about the ultimate show up. He's talking about the evidence show up. Because there are people that Jesus shows up to all the time. I know he shows up to me all the time because he said, when you treat him right, he'll come make his home in you. And then he will introduce you to the father and that he will manifest himself to you. So he's talking about now manifestive appearing. That is when you know that you know and God has said and whatever, there are people who have constant audience with the Lord Almighty all the time. And they're not a devil. You know how I know they're not a devil? It's because they don't exploit that audience. They don't exploit that privilege to the point of breaking his rules, breaking his laws, misrepresenting him, living vulgar, cussing. See, when Satan shows up as Jesus, he's always telling you how dirty you can get. See, a false Christ is always going to tell you how dirty you can get and how your liberty frees you to be nasty, to be whorish, to be uh, sacrilegious and irreligious, to be uh, unclean in every way, to be immoral and unethical. See, that is a false Christ. And Jesus said he'd have a bunch of them between the time he left and the time he comes back. So I always watch people when people say that they're, you're, uh uh, Jesus talked to me and I look at your little dirty life. I know that you have a false Christ. Because he's not talking to you about the things that he has already decreed, unclean, and legislated against. Because the closer you get to Christ, the more you can't stand your own stench. You stink to you. And you got on this $900 cologne. And you're still funky. Because the soul stinks. See, the stench in your body comes from your soul. (laughs) The only reason your body stinks is because your soul is dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. And 3D2, I talk about that in explicit detail. I tell you that your soul created your body. Your soul, in terms of from the moment God made Adam and reproductively, your soul makes your body. It organicizes it. It crafts it. It chemicalizes, electrifies. All of that comes from your soul. And when, when the book is done, I guess in a little bit they might, when I tell them they can take pre-orders. It is an extensive work. 
an extensive work so that no matter how much you exercise, no matter how much you fast and pray, no matter how much you beat yourself, slap yourself in the face, cuss yourself out in the mirror, no matter how much you 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 go and do your good deeds, it's your soul that's funkifying your body. Because it's your soul. As a matter of fact, as I was studying, because I do an extensive etymological study of everything, and you will love it, the book, because I put a lot of, of definitions and etymology in the footnotes so that you won't have to keep trying to figure out what, what is she saying. So, but I realized that when they were writing about the soul, they were writing about something that was putrid, sludgy, murky, and, and foul. And so they're deaf and black. They called the soul black because the light went out with Adam. So the soul has no light if the light of the death of the spirit is darkness, which is why Jesus said, make sure that the light that is in you is not darkness. You don't know how dark your light is until the true light comes. So when we talk about for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry i'm not entirely sure that the authors of of god's word the scribes of his words realized that they were writing to a, a future generation all down all down the line successively responding to a future generation so i'm sure that with jesus's departure still being relatively fresh they considered that he's coming today to take us away from the romans take us away from the war from the ugly and all of that and he didn't they died but he did come because he came and got them so they may not have recognized that jesus is coming until his ultimate appearance is Jesus is Jesus coming to get them and you don't know how important that is until you read Jude Jesus one of Jesus baby brothers and Jude talks about Moses dying and Satan Satan coming for his body now back then we understand that body and soul the Old Testament treats body and soul as a unit so if the body is already uh, condemned to the ground Satan was coming for his body and his soul so that he was actually coming to take over his soul so that he can trick the, the Israelis the people of God into thinking Moses didn't die and he can begin to do what we see a lot of these false preachers doing pretend to understand and uphold the law while he perverted and corrupted them with all of his dark dead doomed uncleanness See, when your preacher starts getting really nasty, that when he that liberty start turning into libertinism, you understand that he switched out his Christ. She changed her gods. Because, see, God's not going to co cohabitate with a devil. That's why he left Adam. So going on, just for you to be clear. Now, he, he lays that foundation and then he writes in verse 38 now the just shall live by faith but if any man or if any draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in them so god has a soul which is why you got one and jesus came to the planet with a soul that was a fusion of 
his father, God Almighty, and his mother's doomed soul, Mary. So he says, now, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. See, uh, no matter how long you've been saved, the day after you fall, you're saved no more. Unless, of course, you are granted repentance. See, we teach this thing as if it's all in our control. It's all in our hands. We decide when we sin and whether we what we do is to be called sin or not. We decide. We determine how our judgment should be because we've been taught from these blind evangelical misinterpretations and errant translations that it's all about us. But see, salvation is not just about you. It is also not just about humanity, which is why this man who's been to heaven more than once can say we must believe to the saving of our soul, not the renewing of your spirit. I want to let that sit in there a little bit. See, we've been taught that once you got a new spirit, you're in. It's over. That's like saying once you get into your perfect home, you're in. It's over. Nothing can put you out. So miss paying the bank. Skip paying the mortgage. Refusing to pay your taxes, and you'll find out how fragile your residence is. Because even if you've paid it off, you still owe the people for the land that you're living on. So we keep telling you that you are saved just because you said a prayer. That is not salvation. That is entrance. Because everything that is that is accredited to you as salvation is by the imputation of Jesus Christ. It's imputed to Christ. So Christ is actually lending you his righteousness and lending you his seal of redemption. He's lending it. But there is a reason why he says it. Obviously, he's watched this long enough. He comes back to John and said, yeah, but you know what? You have to endure it to the end. Because he's not saving newborn Christians who can't do anything for him. Because heaven is mature. Heaven is a finished product. It's not a beginning work. So he says, you must believe to the saving of the soul. I want you to highlight that. If you're listening to me tonight, I need you to not only highlight that, I want you to write it in the front of your Bible and then write it on a script of, of script of paper, whatever that little slip of paper you might have, write it and stick it on your mirror so that you can remember that your salvation is only as sure as you are about it. So the minute you begin to doubt your salvation, you are now jeopardizing your soul. Isn't that good to know? So when you look at these people and they're starting to, oh, God doesn't mind and God doesn't care. They are not speaking from the realm of God. They're speaking from the realm of the flesh. And the flesh is always subject to the law of sin and death. That's why the body dies, even though the, the rest of you do not. You know, your new creation spirit goes to heaven. Before the blood of the lamb, everybody went to hell. Spirit and soul went to hell. He paid the price and the price was blood. So in God's realm, blood is its number one currency. And blood 
is in the soul. The spirit doesn't have blood. The soul does. Which is why under the law, God said, I have given you the blood on the altar for the atonement of your souls. And so we look at that now and he rolls that conversation over right here into our famous Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But for by it, the elders obtained a good report. Well, they, this was to the Hebrews. So when he used the word elders, they understood who it was. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Enoch. You can go on. All right. So he's saying by it, by faith, they obtained a good report. Now, that is because this is written for literary context and not the literal personhood. Because Abraham went to hell. And he was God's guy. David went to hell. God made, brought Jesus out of his seat. So what are they saying? Faith is the substance. Study the word substance. Because we think since it's invisible, it must be theoretic. At best, theological, meaning word only. So, so faith is the substance of things hope for. So if you don't hope to finish your life out eligible to be to become one of God's eternal citizens of life and light, then you have then you will die. See, faith is really the, the, the a fraudulent version of, of fear. Fear is fraudulent faith. I fear losing my family. I fear losing my marriage. I fear losing my kids. I fear not being invited to this. I fear my husband and my wife and my dog and my bird and whatever. You, All of that that you are securing with your faith is corrupt. Because if God can't keep your husband, your wife, your bird, your dog, your kids, your grandchildren and all of that, if God can't do it, you certainly can't because you're dead. Because the flesh is still dead. That's why it dies. Which is why you need the Holy Ghost and you need your new creation spirit to keep quickening your soul so it starts sending forth eternal life and light in its chemicalization and its electrifying of your body and no longer doom and death. So he says, for by it. And so your faith, the faith that you that you had when you said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe, I believe all of that. I believe that belief has got to take you to the grave. It can't just take you to the church. It can't just take you to the pulpit. It can't just take you to the public square. It's got to take you to the grave. When you die, your, your body has got to reflect it. When Elisha died, what he believed still showed up in his bones. Even though his body decomposed, it decayed when it hit the dust, it still showed up. When Elisha, Elijah left, they, they had to come because death had lost its right to him. Death had no way to grip him and keep him in the planet, let alone keep him on the, um, in hell. Moses dies. And Satan comes for his soul and his body so that he can fake out God's people. And God sends Michael, 
the archangel to stop him. Now, we love, you know, the, the modern translators love to overhumanize the word of God and downgrade God's power to human understanding or human equivalency. Because even though they translated that, um, that Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord that um, owns Israel rebukes you, they don't realize, did you study rebuke? And if God does everything by his word, somebody look up rebuke here right now. Because God said that when he comes to get us and he comes to defend himself and make war, he's doing so with his sword of his mouth. So Michael had already defeated Satan. That's why Satan is on the planet and not in his realm. So Satan already knew he couldn't take on Michael. He already knew he couldn't defeat him. He already knew that God sent his strongest warrior, warring angel, archangel, to preserve Moses, to see to it that Moses, although he saw death, and Satan is the father of it, he saw death, but that his service to God was still so superlative, he could not be taken to hell. Now, how do we know that? Because we look at Jesus. Jesus is about to get on the cross. And the two men who, who beat hell show up to say, here we are, to make sure a lot of things. See, we don't even know what that visit was. But to make sure a lot of things that Satan had planned for Jesus' demise did not happen and that everything that did happen was according to Scripture. Everything. This is apostles' doctrine. I'm, I don't know what the other stuff, but they, but Shedebo, this is it. And so, your faith, you came with enough faith to get you to pass you from death to life, and with enough faith to get you from the sinner's prayer to the Savior's throne. You have more than enough. Unfortunately, you've been poorly taught. So there's always there this, this ambivalence that is a result of this ambiguity about what it means to be saved and born again and what God will overlook and what he won't overlook. Now, nobody can actually tell you that God will forgive your tattoos, your torn jeans, your piercings, your fornicating, your shacking, your, your homosexuality. Nobody can tell you that God will forgive that except the scriptures. Just like nobody can tell a criminal in this world that their crime is going to be wiped away except those who are the custodians of the laws and the government of the land. So your friend can say, oh, man, don't worry about it. All you got to do is so-and-so, and then you get this freaky judge and say, oh, I'm going to give you 25 years for stealing bubblegum. Huh? I know that's an extreme example, but you do get the point. Nobody can do it except the agent of the institution that's representing it, that has been assigned and appointed as well as trained and developed to uphold it. So it's okay just because you don't feel guilt doesn't mean you aren't guilty. 
And see, that's the problem. You've been talked out of guilt, so you don't feel guilty, so you must not be guilty. Well, if I stay guilty, then, then I'm always going to not be able to move past what I did. Well, some of these things you did, you ought, to, not, you ought not to move past. In other words, if you turned around and decided to kill yourself, you survived, and you, but it did cost you a limb, guess what you have to do? You're going to live with that without that limb. You know, when we think about the abortion question, you know, and I'm the woman, I'm like, first of all, I'm like, oh, I, I did not know people could be this idiotic. I promise you I did it. So we have all these women who talked about, well, yeah, but I mean, it's my body. No, 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 no. I like the way Prophet Marie said it's not only your body, it's the body of the baby and the body of the, the man and the body of the almighty. It's not just your body. And if your body was that sacred to you, you shouldn't have had a, had a relationship or a sexual encounter that put you in custody of another body. Because you're a custodian of that child. You only have half. You don't even have all of it. You have one third of that child's physical material, all of the rest. And so the court is making a ruling on the whole body, but you want to commit murder on the little bit you have. And then you turn around and get mad at God 10 years later because he won't let you get pregnant. God's like, go, go get that one you flushed. Because that was the only egg I left in you. I didn't need you another egg. We act like it's all, it's all, you know, in our control. It is not. But we do that. We do that because our five senses are locked into this physical realm. So we do that. And, and we act like, you know, out of sight, non-existent. That's not God. God has a whole, what he said, an innumerable company of angels who are assigned to us, keeping track of everything we do, making sure that cause and consequence happen, whether we like it or not. Because the law of sin and death is creation wide. So here is your faith. Now, let's look at the soul with, you know, Peter, you know, Peter says the end of our faith. Is the salvation of our soul. But to show you that God doesn't change, we have Psalm 19.7 to tell you how, how you are saved, how your soul gets saved. Now, I know that we've been told that, the, you know, we're not under law because, you know, these narrow-minded, skimpy teachers only think that there's one law. God got, like, I don't even know, hundreds of laws. So which one are you talking about? Hundreds. We've got... Because see, it says here, Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You still mad at the law? Yeah, well, you don't really belong to him. You don't even get it. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So God is like, I command you to turn the light on in your dull brain. My statutes are to bring you into my, my righteousness and out of fallen man's morality. So, in other words, if you, you ever have somebody, you, you've been in a situation, just to give you an example, you've been in a situation where every, everywhere you turn, you're in a class where the teacher's just unjust, just, just immoral, uh, like today. And so you ever been in those situations? And then all of a sudden, 
a person comes in with the power and the authority and the consciousness to reverse and overturn that. Do you can you remember that feeling you had in your heart that finally justice is happening? That finally you are vindicated, the class is vindicated, and this cruel person is finally caught in the act and subject to punishment. Do you remember how that felt? That's that that is because righteousness entered. And if you don't have that feeling about God's righteousness, then you're not in it. And if you look at the last chapter of Malachi 3, it says as much. That all of the wicked priests and the wicked um, leaders and governments of God's land, all of them wanted God to get out of the way. And what they did to deceive the people is they called evil good and good evil. And it says, and the Lord listened. But then he listened to those who believed in him. And he said, they will be my jewels. And he marked all of those people who in heart rejoiced over his truth, his righteousness. So you can say that because like, I hear people, well, you know, I mean, you know, we don't really do the Bible anymore. Yeah, well, you probably wouldn't. But I guess what? I tell you what, you stop doing that Constitution, you're going to jail. <laughs> That's why they're fighting to change it, because they, they want to change the Constitution so that it benefits criminals. So that it benefits the wicked, so that their witches and warlocks and sorcerers, etc., can take over government and take over the court. And you, you're so busy hating being told what to do, you don't realize you're on the auction block. You don't realize that because your liberty, my personal liberty, let me tell you, your personal liberty is done if the liberties of this, this country are gone. Ask those countries that they, it's already worked in. The fear of the Lord is clean. Did anybody hear that? The fear of the Lord is what? Clean. clean. So all of this dirty nastiness you see in the pulpit, that's not your Lord. Because one thing God's going to do is clean you up. Think about the madman of Gadara. Or Gadara, depends on what it is. I do like the little talking Bibles. They help me put those syllables in the right place. Thank God for the little talking Bibles. Whew, bless the Lord. So, but the madman of Gadara goes and he is he naked, he's dirty, he's funky, he stinks, and we God delivers him from his legion. And the next thing we know, he's cleaned up and in his right mind, sitting down hungry for more of Jesus. So don't tell us that we can't assess your salvation or the lack thereof. Because God gave us specific markers and indicators in his word. And this is his word tampered with by those who try to get rid of him. So the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are what? True and righteous altogether. If you have a something that you kind of read every day with your scripture, you should add this. Psalm 19, 7 to 9. Now, I like 10 because it's so precious. It says, more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So God is a sugar. When I say that, now you know where I got it from. Jesus is a sugar. He's a honey man. 
That's he's my see my honey man right there. So and what he passes on to you is sweetness, not hateful, not vileness. We got all of these Christians who holding all kinds of biases and and malice in their heart, talking about God understands how I got there. Of course he did. The re, but what he did about what he understood was get on a cross, go to hell, rise from the dead, go back to his world, dump his pure blood, Satan free blood on the altar and then send you to the planet in the Holy Ghost. You know, you all don't even hear about the Holy. You can go 10 years not hear about the Holy Spirit, at least until we get to Christmas. And then the spirit of the highest will come upon you. And that's all the Holy Ghost, you know, that's why you can't be you can't convert to God because you can't you have you trying to convert on print and God needs you to convert by the spirit of God. You have to. He said, I will write my laws. What in your minds and in your hearts? I will walk in you and talk in you. And what? You will be my people. I'll be your God. Now, God got he has this thing coming and going. I don't care how many of you all say, well, I just don't believe that if you don't believe that you're unsaved, it's not hard. You know, that's not a hard thing. You know, the people who don't believe in our country to the point of trying to violate it are called traitors. And they're charged with treason. God will charge you with treason. That's just what it is. So we finally got the soul thing down, Pat. But then we get that. And that's just a few of them. So let's go on. Welcome to the show. I'm going to talk to you about 3D. A systemic platform that takes your life from distress to success for lifelong liberty. See, a lot of you went out, y'all have gone to those deliverance meetings. They slung oil on you, messed up your favorite suit, your best dress. Okay, but you got up and you tolerated it because you thought it meant freedom. And you go home, you can't ever wear that outfit again. But every time you look at it, you remember you were made free. Okay? And so you go a couple of weeks, maybe a month, perhaps a year tops. Life is good. You understand God. God understands you. You recognize where you missed it, how you and God were at odds with each other. And so the reconciliation of that deliverance has been beautiful. And you've made peace with God. And then and then. Then you meet some of your old friends or go to your old haunts or poor baby. You got to go and meet the family that wasn't there when you got delivered, who still doesn't believe and want you back. They want the spirit of the old you back. People don't want you back. They want the spirit of the old you back because they miss communing and fellowshipping with the death and the darkness that was in you that was compatible to them. Because if they really loved you for who you are, they wouldn't fight so hard for you to become what they can appreciate or live with. So they don't want you back as the person. They don't want you back because you're going to bring something that their devils can't tolerate. And that is the spirit of Christ in you. They don't want that. And you, on the other hand, think that, well, you know, they are my family. That if your family loved you, they'd back you no matter what you did. Because I know families that we know we don't do the Jesus thing. But you know what, son, if that's you, you are you are our relatives. In other words, they can treat us horribly as our relatives. But we cannot stand firm in Jesus as their relative. Isn't that how it goes? 
Your parents can cuss you out, treat you like trash, call you everything under the sun because they disagree with the Christ in you. And you are going to be a good Christian and you're going to suck it up and be quiet and pray for them. I am not against that. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't play that. I don't know what makes your, 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 your God that's on a killing rampage better than my Christ who has to save me from you. I'm saved from your God. So, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pet your devils. Now, I will not get in your business. You want to drink? You want to destroy yourself? That's fine. You know, I've been in this thing a long time. And I found out that if, if, if the Lord can't do it, I certainly can't make it so. But if we're going to, if we're going to relate, then you're going to do that. And when you get ready to go and do your little death culture stuff, I'm leaving because I belong to the Prince of Life. See, because that's your death stuff. See, your devil has to kill you. He's still on a rampage. And then when I go back to Jesus Christ, I will pray for your soul. But understand, you are not going to intimidate me because your God is working to kill you and my God has made me alive. I refuse to be intimidated by that. I don't care who you are. And if you know anything about Paula Price, these people sitting around up in here, am I telling the truth? I'm going to tell you right now, I will not. You know why I don't? Because eternity is longer than earth. So I have to live, I'm going to try to, I have to live with this man for eons, trying to figure, trying to still explain why this one was more important than that one was more important. And this is why I did this. Uh-uh, I don't do it. I, I told Jesus, even recently I said, Jesus, I got your back. Now you need to be, make sure you got mine. Now if you have my back as much as you have my back, that's how much I'm going to have yours and more because you are the almighty. Because the only reason God will pull from you like that is because you, it is not advantageous to him. God still operates on his best interest. And his best interest is to save such as being saved. To secure what he saves. His best interest is to get us to eternity. That's God's best interest. So you can talk all your crazy stuff and your pastor can say all of that. Your pastor cannot guarantee that when you die and leave your body that the angels are coming to get you instead of demons. They cannot guarantee that you will not be escorted out of this planet. Your soul will not be escorted out of this planet by demons. The fact that you die already tells you that it's out of your control. We like to lie and say, oh, well, I was near death, but God came to God. But, but no, I fought death. I know you didn't. God just said, I'm not done with that. So I want you to get a sense of 3D, which is taking your life from distress to success. And it comes, what I'm working on right now is your lifelong liberty project guide. That's what I'm working on. Now, so 3D is what? Decision, the decision to be free. First of all, decision to, how about acknowledge you are bound? I know, you know, the alcoholic, I tell you, because I was raised in an alcoholic household, the alcoholic will always say, I can stop whenever I want to. And you say, stop, and they can't. Right. Yeah. But I thought you said that you could stop whenever you want to. Well, I just don't want to. Don't want to. Okay. <laughs> so you don't really want to stop, but you can stop whenever you want to. But since you don't want to stop, you don't want to stop, even though it would stop destroying our home, eating up the rent, eating up the, the food in the house, diverting all of our livelihood to your. And you really want that? Oh, so then you don't want me. I'm, I'm clear. You don't want me. 
because I am not going to let you dissipate my, my well-being because you don't want to beat your devils. You don't want to beat your addiction. You don't want to because, because you, you, are, you are loving the fact that you can, that you've convinced yourself that you can when you're ready. And you're not ready? Huh, right. So you have to accept the number one decision. Secondly, the longest part of the pre-3D journey is discovery. Now that is what the bulk of book two is going to tell you, all of the reasons why you could not free your soul and lost the appetite for doing it. See, I really believe that it's true. You don't want to because your appetite for, the, for, for what's enslaving you is stronger than your appetite to live a wholesome life with your family. So we've got to get you through that. What is that? Where'd that come from? And there are many, many, many explanations in the book that we'll, you'll go through with our advisors to help you. Discovery is the longest leg of the journey because there's a lot of you that got messed up in whatever your, uh, your enslavement is. It, it, a lot of things factored into it. There were a lot of characters that sewed into it. So you're going to spend a lot of time with that. And if you're a person who hates truth, you will not complete the discovery phase. If you hate seeing yourself the way it is, you find it more painful to face the truth than it is to be enslaved to something that's a lie, then you won't complete this. You just can't. And then we have the deliverance piece. You will, you will know that you are delivered when you can finally accept what you did and realize that you did it. Once you come to the knowledge of the truth of, 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 that you did it, then you will, you, trust me, your deliverance is going to be like this. You will not need a big church service and a, and a, a major pipe organ and a super pianist and band with the, with the saxophone to woo you and the trumpet to call you. You won't need any of that because it was just by your your conviction, you will be free. Because most people will do what's right for their body, and when they understand their soul, they will do what's right for their soul. So here we go. We're still at our prophecy clinic, and if you look at the lower right corner, we talk about clinical practice and research. You know, because it's important that you understand that in education. See, the second half of the Great Commission is teaching. However, we just, you know, we just pick that up like people do when you plagiarize and pilfer. And so they pick that up and they just say, we teach any old thing. But he said, teaching them to what? Observe what? And to do all my commandments, what I told you to do. Teach them what I taught you. Well, if the people haven't taught, but learned from Jesus, then they can't teach you Jesus. They can teach you their appearance, their experience with Jesus. They can teach you their impression and opinions about him. They can teach you their resentment and their regrets. They can teach you everything, but not him. Because Jesus is a person who authored a book. He's a person who authored a book. I'm going to say that again. He's a person that authored a book. So, and I lived this in my own life. People will keep saying they know me because they read my book. You know how many books I've written? Trust me, I'm, I'm still writing and the people that have been with me for 20, 30 years still don't know me. 
they, uh, when did you, how did, right. They know me better than anyone else, but I still managed to surprise them. And when you read this book, you're going to really catch it. So we talked about, <laughs> y'all going to catch hold of me. I promise you're going to love it. So just bringing this back and you will see these word clouds repeatedly. And the reason being, so you'll remember why we're not teaching the prophetic like everybody else does. Or like the majority of the church does. I think God has more like this than we imagine. So I'm not teaching you the prophetic based on public predicting. The, when God separated the prophet, his prophets from the diviners, he did so based on the fact that his prophets handle what he wrote before the world was. So they talk about his thoughts and his intents. They speak his heart and his thoughts and their intents. Worldly prophets teach about their thoughts and their deities' intents. So they're, they're coming from a, a, a bunch of books, a bunch of devils. You realize that if you are a part of those Asiatic religions, you got a whole lot of devils to learn. I mean, the Holy Ghost is a, talk about my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come on, somebody. Woo! You're talking about these hundreds of thousands of deities. And you got to, if you're going to represent them, you got to learn every one. Or either you have to be chosen by one who only has a little piece of the piece. Yeah. And not the fullness in you. I am so excited to be born again. I don't know what to do. I am thrilled about being the elect because I don't have to go through a library of devils, dooms, and darkness to be able to fulfill my purpose. Because my purpose and destiny is not to kill you, but to make you alive, not to send you to hell, but qualify you for heaven. I'm clear on that. So when he said my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's saying, hey, there's just one of us. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Period. Isn't that easy? It's easier learning all of the intricacies of one being than to have to figure out all of the individualities of the other beings and then the intricacies of the one that's going to take care of you. When they say that, again, Asiatic, some of you all are walking around here saying that Christian talk about, yeah, well, the heavens. Well, the universe, let me tell you something. I'm going to keep saying it because I'm going to slash that down to dust, the dust yes. it is. That's nothing but bad stardust. And I'm telling you, I'm going to slash, yes, it is. The universe, we have, what is? what are they saying? They're estimating billions of galaxies that have trillions of stars. And you say the whole universe is thinking about you out of 8 billion people on the planet? Does that not sound dumb? That's the stupidest thing. I, and you can't even figure out who to learn. You don't know if it's one of our nine planets. Is it one of the other, uh, uh, what do you call them, other constellations? Are they other, it could be an asteroid. You know, you say in universe, you could have an asteroid looking out after you or, you know, something. Well, you could. Comet, some comet may be taking care of you. 
when you say universe, that's a big thing. You know, we got one that's getting ready to come on by. You might be getting a visit from your God. Who <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd come for me, bro. Oh, oh, oh. so what do you call it? Holy Comet? Thank you. They can come on by. No, you scared of him. You scared of this comet because you don't know if he tilts one one little fraction of this or that, you gone. And you have no power with that comet. But we have power with our God. I'm just, I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm just making a few pointers. When people ask say that, I say, well, which one? Are we talking about is your is the unit part of the universe that's caring about you? Is that a constellation? Is that a meteor? Is that a, a comet? Is that an asteroid? Is that what what is it? Is it a fallen star? Is it a black hole? I'm trying to figure out now because we got a lot going on out there. Yes. So and and everything I name is destructive. Yes. I just thought I'd say that. So when we think about Prophecy Clinic, obviously we're going to talk about the fact that we have, the being has faculties that facilitate the, the what God wrote about each person based on Psalm 139, 15 to 18, before time began. So you can read people's humanity, but only God can open the book on their eternality. And so, and in this, we're gonna eventually you're gonna see prophecy workshops, and and we're gonna learn how to evaluate. I have a course called Prophecy Diagnostics because if you don't know how to diagnose the prophecies of scriptures, how are you going to know that you are being spoken to by the author of scripture? You can't know that. How do you know? Well, I just feel it in my spirit. Oh, come on, baby, I feel a lot of things in my spirit that I look back on and say, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that was a fleshly sensation. You know, because your appetites are not just for the Almighty. You have other appetites. We'll talk about that. So if you had a chance to get that, let me take you to the next one. And this is clinic in general when we talk about it. And I know that based on how the church thinks, uh, pretty soon everybody's going to have a clinic on something. But could you get Because, you know, we, we definitely are. We are doing see, see and do. Okay. So what you want to do is know what you're doing. Know what you're talking about. Understand that it's not, a, I'm not talking about slang and slingo and lingo. You know, we have people who came to us and decided that they wanted to come and they came under false pretenses, meaning they came to get the materials, but not to become what we're doing. So they have the materials and they go out and they try to do it as if the grace is on them that's on me. First of all, God's never going to um, honor theft. Ever, 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 ever. Never, never, never. He's not going to honor theft. Now, he may use your theft for some sort of other advantage, but you will always be charged in God's realm as a criminal. And you will see it when you look at the, how skimpy he, rep he, he responds or either if he if he does seem to bless it, it's only because he's get, he's going to destroy it when it's big enough to get the whole thing out of his way. Wow. See, because sometimes we want God to kill a seed. Then we want him to crush a bug. And God's like, no, no, I want to go for that prince. That prince that seduced you into stealing and misusing my people. So God will let you get big. What he said it in, in, in the book of Romans, he said, wait a minute, what did he say? He said to Pharaoh, for this cause, for this here cause, I raised you up. That I may show my power in you. Because you went and assaulted one of my people with the project I gave them 
using your power. So, uh, so if he lets you get big, you have to understand that when you go down, it is horrible. Because, see, when you see, I fell and this one fell, I had, you know, my little one this and one that thing. No, 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 you got an empire. And God's like, but I want to kill the empire. So don't cry. That's why what Solomon said, when you see, you know, the wicked in power, don't cry. Don't cry. Just say, boy, that's a lot of loss to suffer. Ooh, that's a lot of humiliation. And don't be worldwide. Oh, my gosh. The whole world is going to know that you have never been right. And that God raised you up to give a global example of what he will destroy and what he hates and what sin looks like in action. So and then we get we get to keep it. It makes the news. You know, we get, they make they do stories about it. We get movies about it and all of that. Don't ever think that the reason God doesn't stop someone is because he approves them when you know they're wicked. If this book says they're wicked, then you need to understand that there's more wickedness that to be brought out to light in them. And so when their wickedness is fulfilled, God is going to come in and do God. Now, remember, also, when God has to judge something, he doesn't leave a void. So he has to wait for the replacement to be ready. So Saul got all those years waiting for David to get ready because he's not going to replace a problem with an error. Y'all think I know the Lord? So we're going to go here. So when you're talking 3D, 3D, the stress to success is fundamental premise is that you authorize your bondage and only you can deauthorize it. I know you don't understand what my mama did. You don't understand what my daddy did. You don't understand what my dog did. My teachers, how they treated me so badly in school. You don't understand that I was a victim of this or that. Nobody, nobody can dis- diminish what you what happened to you, but only you determined what you were going to do about it. Wow. You decided. Instead of rolling it over to Jesus or uh, whatever, you decided. So if you are a crack addict, it's because you authorized the prince of crack to use your vessel as a station of destruction. You authorized it. If it's eating, it's the same thing. You authorize your bondage, and only you can deauthorize it. And that's what 3D will teach you to do, how to deauthorize the things that you naively or unknowingly authorize to take control of your soul. So um, you are going to hear us talk about your soul stronghold ABCs that enslave human souls, that I spend a lot of time on it because we'll talk in a minute about what ABCs are. And then lastly, your soul's secret weapons early in life often turn in on you before they fight your battles in life. Because as long as you're young, uneducated, naive, vulnerable, then all of the things that should be taking care of you are also novice, are also minute and too weak to defend you, which causes you to become a victim of that which you have no control over. Now, what you do with that as an adult and what you meditate on while you're living those days uh, has everything to do with whether or not you are A, B, C, D enslaved. We'll talk about that in a minute.
So this is what we're doing. We're talking about prophecy clinic. We need we got prophets whose souls are so nasty they can't do anything but lie. We have prophets whose soul are so vile and so contaminated that all of their prophecies come from their sorrow and their suffering. We've got prophets who have lived such horrible lives and who had to live in such horrible homes that and have not been clean. So you're always dealing with their dumping. You're always dealing with their puking and pooping all over everything God. This is what 3D is. And we are one of the only soul touching or human touching professions that don't require our practitioners to get clean first. So here we are about the 3D season series. 3D is a decisive step to retake, to retake or take power over your life. When you authorize a captivity, when you authorize a bondage, when you authorize a dysfunction, you are surrendering your will to that being or that solutions, belief, ideology, call it whatever you want, philosophy, their thoughts and their control. In other words, you are sending yourself up to. Now, this is called 3D because of its major transformation potency and its uniqueness, soul restoration, distress to success, lifelong liberty. 3D answers why and when people resolve to become or remain free. And that's the decision piece. You have got to get sick of you. You've got to get sick and tired of you. So when we look at the ABCs, all of that, look at all that junk running around. Nothing but clutter, nothing but junk. All of that has life and connectors, energy and, and fluidity, as well as chemicals that are tied to it to make being a slave to your situation more appealing than to overcome it. Wow. So let's talk about the 3D series. Can you all see that? Some of the things that you should know. Okay? Yeah, I want to make it so you can see it. So 3D deals with the soul strongholds and the soul's dysfunctions from the ABCDs. I know you're hanging on a cliff, but you're coming up to find out what it is. All right? Strategic power grips surrendered souls in return for relief, satiation numbness and consolation you are in bondage because you wanted to escape you wanted to escape reality and and its benefits to hide in fantasy and illusion you wanted to escape life was hard it was unpleasant people didn't like you mama and daddy wouldn't do whatever you couldn't get along with folks whatever the actual outgrowth of your internal self, your solical makeup that did not appeal to you or bring you into the favor and the good pleasure and graces of others, you anesthetize with your own escape mechanism. Kids run away from home, same thing. Somehow or another, they think leaving a house that's decent. Now, there are some houses that are not decent, but then you can actually call the authorities if you want to stay whole. So, you did that, so it was a strategic power. Your, the, uh, the, you, your strategy for dealing with the unpleasantries, your strategy for disliking life, your strategy for being unapproved and unloved was escape. Now, 
you do that, the escape hatch is created when you're a kid. Y'all, we all with me? So the escape part happens when you're a kid. However, you can't do much about it if you are a victim. You're young, you have no job, but what you meditate on while you are suffering and living with that becomes your future captivity or your future advantage. And most people don't think about the advantage because they are locked in the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the injustice. So you have already created the capsule for your captivity. Now, ABCD stands for addiction, bondage, captivity, and dependency. Because we want to say it's addiction, but guess what? Addiction is still a bondage. Bondage still takes you captive. And once you have a new supplier of your soul in your life, you become dependent on it. Now, dependency is the sneakiest one of them all. And the reason that it is the sneakiest one of them all is because dependency is the supplier, it's the former, it's the nurturer, it's the nourisher, it's the feeder. The feeder that facilitates and supports everything else. So you become dependent. If you are a kid, a person of incest and, and you were awakened sexually un, you know, unjustly as a kid, you become dependent, maybe not on the act, but the feeling. That dependency can lead you to a captivity that will walk you into a bondage and you find yourself addicted to sex. So you, are, you're, you have to be careful about what you allow yourself or permit yourself to depend on. Some of you all, you I mean, you you have boyfriends. I got to have a boyfriend. I mean, some of you all, like, I have not been without a man or woman in thus and so years. And so I deserve the right to trash my body to catch up. <laughs> okay. In 3D, your soul suffering alleviators are recognized as strongholds that pair, team up, or overlap to secure their collective grip on you in some way. And so the, the book, we walk through that. We lay that out. We talk about what is an alleviator. Why is that important? Versus what is an enforcer? Why is that important? It's very important that you understand where this is. Now, Addictivity sets in when you cease to choose or refuse either one's intervention in your life and find yourself at the mercy of their will. So there's a section in there on the sampling that enslaved you. Started out aspirin for headache or or, or, or all too familiar oxycodone stories. Okay, that you did not set out to be addicted, but you didn't take steps to make sure that you weren't. You did not set out to, to become dependent on that. You didn't set out to const, you know, constantly commit all kinds of evil, but you didn't take steps not to. Because now we have to take you back to the time when you would have done that as a kid when so-and-so happened to you. But since you couldn't, you filed it away for a future retaliation. And we have to get into that archive, that soul archive. I got to get in there and I have to find out what you 
put where to protect you when you're free enough to not be made subject to someone else's mistreatment. Wishing, here's some of the things that you all also have filed away. Wishing, wanting, <laughs> please forgive me. Willing, the soul is taken over by what you no longer acutely feel or actively prefer. Let's go back to that, that medication. You, when you first, you were in such pain and disgust, no, dire distress that you took it and it helped. And then you fell in love with its sensation, not its relief. See, addiction doesn't come from just relief. It comes from falling in love because the word addiction is synonymous with love and worship of. So you fell in love with the sensation how it made you feel, how you could forget everything, how you could just not worry about it, how life just started to look pretty to you. You love that. I don't care if it's a toxic substance or food. I don't care if it's a perverse behavior. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's an emotional conduct or, or emotional uh, uh, outburst. People, there are people who fall in love with the chemical of rage. It feels good. Telling somebody off makes you feel really good. And when you were a kid, you were told to shut up, be quiet, and you were punished for it. But by golly, now everybody's going to hear what you had to say and what you would have said at eight or three if you could have gotten away with it or if you could have made it so. Addiction strongholds can support overeating with an excessive sweet tooth or a toxified tonic. Or a perverse behavior like binging and purging. You like both feelings. I like the taste of food. It's really a wonderful thing. I really enjoy it. And I enjoy it so much. I never built any restraints around it. Plus, I keep myself in constant starvation mode. So I always have to continue to binge. But I don't want to suffer the consequences of my indulgence. So I'm, I'm retraining my body to upcheck what I eat. So I deprive it of its nutrition. I shut down its biological functions, its digestive functions, and I can enjoy what I like and I can sidestep, bypass the consequences or the effects. And then after a while, I, the, the purging puts me in charge. So I have no control over my eating indulgence. But I resume control when I purge, when I upchuck it. Bondage can offload duty and responsibility or prevent maturity with physical alternatives to irresponsible behaviors or, excuse me, to irresponsible behaviors. So you should be, you know, I'm supposed to mow the lawn. I'm supposed to take out the garbage. I'm supposed to, how about worse for bad parenting? I'm supposed to care about the kids being nasty, stinky, sick, and hungry. But to be honest with you, I didn't ask for these kids. And to be honest with you, I got a life and I'm somebody. Now you do this with your kids because you have the liberty to do it. It is literally your fraudulent appropriation of your liberty as an adult that you're using against your children. So your children will starve, will stink, will be sick, will be left alone because you are re repairing what you had to give up or what you ripped to 
bring them into existence, but you're also rewarding yourself for having survived whatever got you to where you are. You're rewarding yourself. And I'm rewarding myself by making sure that what they should have, I'm putting on me. I'm taking care of. So, no, it's not my fault that my that I'm a mother. I didn't ask to be a mother. but And, and, and I want to go on the record and say they didn't ask to be your children because I'm sure if they had a choice, they would have bypassed you. I'm convinced. Two more. Captivity enforces your decision to delegate your soul's control to another person or external maneuver for what you deem to be peace of mind. I don't, I don't care. I just, I don't, whatever. You just take it. You just do it. That's a surrender. That's not, that's worse than escape. You're living in the situation. You're staying there, but you are refusing to be the one to make it work because that supports your blaming. See, then you can blame. If it doesn't work out, you get, you get, uh, listen, I mean, I, it's not my fault. It's my husband. It's not my fault. It's my mom. It's not my fault. It's my dad. It's my job. It's my boss. Why? Because you already made up your mind at that age when you created that container in your soul, you already made up your mind that in any way possible, you are never going to be on the hook for anything again. And you and let me tell you, you are so cunning. You 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 enjoy it because you know what you do. You have procrastination. You have absent-mindedness. I forgot. You have missed time management, mismanagement of, of whatever, because that creates the case for you to hand it off to someone else. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> no, I'm done. <laughs> I am undone. I am undone. And, and lastly. We have dependency, sorry, trying to get it to show up. So I'm going to have to pull out and just read it to you. I'm sure you'll be okay with that. Dependency. It's important that you understand what dependency is. Dependency provides the crutch you lean on when standing on your own becomes too much. So you're always making a crutch out of friendships. You're always making a crutch out of relationships. You're always making a crutch out of jobs that you, that you can't do or jobs that don't require you to do much. You won't advance in your life. You won't finish school. You won't use your education because in your mind, it's going to be too big for you and it's going to make life too involved and too burdensome. So I create a crutch. And your crutch can be marrying the wrong person, constantly sleeping with the wrong people so that you don't have to deal with why you think sex is your solution to your crises. And why you make sex your solution to your crises. And then we, we don't even want to talk about the fantastical thing you do where you just imagine yourself any, anywhere but where you are as anyone but who you are with anything that will keep you from looking bad but will not force you to stand up and take care of yourself. So you, and, and, and the crush people are image constant. These are, the, these are people who spend a whole bunch of money on clothes so folks can look at them as if they're doing well and they're spending money they don't have. So now I've got to sleep around or I've got to rob, I've got to steal, I've got to lie, I've got to cheat, I've got to maneuver so that I can keep up this lifestyle image or this imagery lifestyle that I need to make sure that somebody is always taking care of me, always doing what I need to do so that I can play in life. Mm 
See, I want, I don't want to be in it. I want to play. I want to play and I want all of life's sugar. I want all of life's sweetness. I want all of life's rewards and privileges. And I don't want to have to A, work for it, B, earn it, or C, do without it. So I would rather sacrifice my soul health and my soul security and maturity to not have to deal with this D. I'll create dependencies. I will create, you think about it. So when we walk people through this, I start saying, so let's let's track this dependency thing that you built up. Why, why does that work? I said to, when I was talking with the reporter, I said to the reporter, he said to me, well, you know, the whole oxycodone thing. And we were talking about the Tulsa shooting and, and whatever. And he was, you know, as far as he was concerned, guns were the problem. I said, well, I don't know that guns, I, I wouldn't think guns were the problem. I would think that the man had to, him having to go get a gun will tell me that that wasn't the initial thing. Okay. Because he had to go get a gun. Right. He didn't have one. See? So what drove him to get the gun? What made him think getting the gun would fix his problem? I said, because a lot of people run out of oxycodone. I personally was delivered from it. I know, didn't even know that I was in, that it was what it was, but I did not know. But I was personally delivered from it by the Holy Ghost. He visited me and he told me what I was doing. And so I didn't, and it took him three months for me to understand how bad it was, although my obedience to him stopped right away. And so when I was on it, I was like everybody else whose doctor said no. Okay, so now we need to find out how to get this underground, black market. He had a lot of alternatives to shooting people. Because people were getting this, they, they still get their stuff from a whole lot of places. And trust me, right now, the internet will send you something from other nations. You have a lot of ways. No, it was not, it was not that he, the gun that did it, the gun was the instrument of carrying out something he had resolved. He had hit his limits for a long time ago. Last example, because I am out of time. Last example are those of you, I got to be married at a certain age. See, that's because you're, you're, see, the crutch has not come and you're tired of standing on your own. I need a crutch to take me off the hook. Talk about marrying somebody under fraudulent pretenses or false pretenses. And it's a common thing. And then you're upset because then you go and, and you're upset because God won't keep the marriage together. God's like, well, I didn't, I, I didn't do that. So no, I don't have to. I don't have to. Now, by his righteousness, he's going to try to, you know, because he hates divorce. So he's going to try. But you set yourself up for divorce because you made a crutch out of a spouse. Hey. <laughs> what? This is in my book. This is only a little bit of it. It's about that much. And we talk about the things that you command your soul to do. Now, based on what I told you, you can de you realize how you authorize the traumas, the trials, the crises, the, the, the falsehoods, the falsities, the fantasies. You authorize it because in scripture parlance, you had made up your mind that your will be done. We have a whole section on the human will. I appreciate you joining us. I, I, I'm sure that you want to sow. You want to sow because what I just gave you is, is really worth more than free. 
but it is to give you a sample of why you want to enroll in my think if it classes as well as in Price University so that you can begin to deal with your soul. Because I'm telling you, it's your soul that sins and will die. Your soul is what goes to hell, not your body. Join us at the embassy, home of the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands, Sundays, Wednesday nights. When do we do Wednesday night? 630? 6.30? 6.30. 6.30. Look at me being all correct. All right. Wednesday night, 6.30, Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Sunday school. You get the, uh, listen, you don't want to miss that. And then 10 o'clock Sunday service. Share this with everyone. Share, 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 share. And listen, don't try to teach it and, and speak it until you listen to it at least four times. Okay? Because then, uh, then, you'll, then you'll be past cherry picking the pieces that you like and agree with. And you'll become a, a, a genuine, sincere messenger, accurate messenger. So listen to it. And again, so a see, you know, I have been fighting and fighting for 40 years to get this message out. I'm finally coming to a point where the doors are opening and the opportunities are there, but I need you. I need the funds. I need you to dig deep. I need you to, some of you all can just have a collection in your group, your church, your ministries, your, your, you know, regular meetings, your friends your whatever you can have a collection, but I need you. And we need you to the tune of thousands of dollars right now. You see, we have a, a nice new backdrop, but I still have to pay for airtime. And some of that airtime is reasonable. Others, it's not so reasonable. I want to get this out and only you can help me. Because you know darkness is not going to help me. Sinners are not going to help me. Devils and angry folk are not going to help me. Only you who have an ear to hear and a heart to understand and a soul to become, as well as a soul to save, can hear me. So I think they have it on the screen where you can sew. Make sure you go to Thinkific and get some of these soul classes. They tell me they're putting them up. This here is not taught anywhere. This is brand new. So you got to... Ten, the first fruits. So why can't I get your first fruits? God bless you. Dr. Price should be on television because her wisdom is universal. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you agree or you don't, there is wisdom and eternal truths in everything she says. She's intelligent and not just emotionally reactionary. And so if she's going to, let's just say, have a rebuttal against something, she's done her homework. And so it's not just shooting off emotionally and this is just what I believe and just, you know, unbridled passion all over the place. She should be on television because the world needs her, not just the body of Christ. There are answers that she has taken the time, which a lot of people don't want to do, and paid the price and the sacrifice, like people in Scripture, and it's time for the world, and the world is ready to hear that information. Oh, she's real. Dr. Price is real. That's the appeal. We just had a whole bunch of people in church on Sunday, and the overriding comment was, but she's just so honest, but it's just so truthful. And it's not just honesty to shock people and do whatever. She's honest about the Lord, honest about the word, honest about us sitting in the seats and herself also sitting in their seats. And, and that's, that's huge. You, you don't even realize you don't hear the truth a lot until you hear it. And you're like, that's it.
I want you to do me a favor. I want you to visit www.takingiton.com. Taking It On is not just about a television show. It is about getting around tables, having discussions, making connections, shaking hands, opening doors, and you might be the solution or the open door to what God has told Dr. Paul Price. And so as we continue to take it on, we want to take it on with you. Partner with us at www.takingiton.com.